Lord, bless us all as we uh, seek to hear from God's Word. And as we uh, hear from God's Word, may we uh, find ourselves truly transformed. We uh, all participated in one uh, form or fashion uh, in what was a really historic event uh, this past week. Uh, we all uh, viewed uh, on the TV, internet, uh, the funeral of Queen Elizabeth, who died after uh, 96 years. It was a great affair, and as you would anticipate, uh, nothing less from the royal family. It was uh, full of all sorts of pomp and, uh, and circumstance. People, as, as we have come to, to know, stood uh, in line for, for hours to to pay their respects. Hundreds of thousands of people line the streets of London to catch a glimpse of the, of the funeral procession. The Queen's uh, funeral was a celebration of, of many things. It was a celebration not only of her, her life, but also of country. And if you think about it, uh, the Queen's funeral was also a celebration of family. The Queen's family gathered at the moment of her death and stayed with her throughout. I, uh, I commented uh, throughout all the, the days that led up to the actual uh, day of the funeral that just how exhausted the royal family uh, must have been. You know, there they were grieving, uh, then having to, to make all the, the public uh, commitments that, that needed, to be, uh, needed to be made. They just had to be exhausted. The world watched as uh, William and Henry were reunited during the funeral. The press would lead us to believe that their relationship is strained these days. Uh, we don't know one way or the other directly whether that is the case. It very well may be. But I was interested to read in the aftermath of the, of the funeral a, a quote from King Charles's uh, former butler, Grant Harold. He said a, a very interesting and I think affirming word about the two coming together during the funeral. He said their show of unity was no PR stunt. It was a show of family unity. The two wanted to, to be together as strained as things very well may be. While it is not universally the case, it's not always the case with every family, but essentially we are drawn to family. It's just in us to be drawn to family. It is in family that we gain strength, we're offered support, and we experience love. Now, again, that doesn't always happen, isn't always the case for, for families, but, uh, but clearly these, these things are evident, that sort of strength and support and love that, in fact, draws us to family. It is always hurtful when such things aren't in place. That may be the case for your own family. I know it is for, for any family at, at, at certain times. But those things become important, if not critical, and, and, and they, uh, they draw us so that we might seek the, so, so, the sort of strength, support, and love that we, that we gain. Most want the best for their families, and they will do almost anything in order to achieve that best 
for their family. They will um, uh, work at that. Sometimes that best has to do with material possessions. Sometimes it, it, it and, and hopefully most times, will involve emotional support. Hopefully it will also translate into spiritual support. The spiritual needs of one's family are important. And from that, uh, that, that meeting of spiritual need comes the, the, the sort of things that, that ripple from there. You know, where there is emotional support, where there is desire to, to be present and, and to, to, to nurture in, in, in all ways. We find that very thing, that sort of uh, spiritual support taking place in the Scripture that we read today. We mentioned it last week in passing. We dive in a little more deeply here this week. We'll be taking into consideration what it means to be focused on family. And we do that as we consider that story of the Philippian jailer and his salvation and the salvation of his family. So we'll be reading today from Acts 16, 25 through 34, this account of the Philippian jailer and his whole household being baptized. Let's hear this from God's Word. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the, the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and, um, and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his household. This is God's Word, and may it be a, a deep and abiding blessing to each of us, not only as we hear this Word read, but as we make effort now to take our lives and apply them to it. May God be with us all. Paul and Silas were all about worshiping God, they, they did that with great gusto, even in the Philippian jail. The Scripture records that it was about midnight. Yeah, they were worshiping all the way up to that, to that uh, late hour in the night. They were, were praying and singing hymns to God. Their, their worship had uh, caught the attention of the other prisoners. It had also caught the attention of God seemingly out of nowhere, 
came an earthquake that, uh, that loosened the chains and opened the, the door to their cell. The two could have walked away if they wanted. Not surprisingly, both Paul and Silas noted that the, um, that the jailer was panicked. He was charged with, with keeping all the prisoners, including Paul and Silas, under lock and key. And now they could just simply walk away. The jailer became so desperate that he drew his sword. And he did so in order to kill himself. Under Roman law, if a prisoner escaped, the life of the jailer was demanded in his place. His responsibility and accountability was that serious. Paul immediately stepped in and he said, don't harm yourself. We're all here. In a word, it's going to be okay. The jailer called for the lights and he saw that uh, was indeed the case that not only Paul and Silas, but all the prisoners were right there. And this, this jailer was so overwhelmed with relief that he fell trembling. And he did that before Paul and Silas. And he asked, what must I do to be saved? Interesting. He uh, was within a breath of, of committing his own demise. And then in that turn of events, Upon asking what he must do to be saved, he, he, um, he now seeks after God through Christ for the very life that uh, Christ had to offer. The jail, jailer recognized that something very special was happening. He recognized that, that, that God was, uh, was, was active in that moment, that something was afoot even more special than a well-placed earthquake. When it comes to such things, I, I can't help but remember uh, Elijah's encounter with God. And we find that recorded in, in 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. First, a, a great wind blew, but the Lord was not in it. And then an earthquake came, but the Lord was not in it. And next there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then Elijah noticed that there was a, a gentle whisper. This is often called a still, small voice. And it was in that still, small voice, that gentle whisper, that, that God was speaking. And Elijah noticed. I don't know about you, but the Lord speaks to me with a, a gentle whisper more than any other way. Not so much earthquakes or fires or, or grand events, although I have known the Lord to, to speak in, in many and varied ways. But I can tell you that God seems to speak through that, that still, small voice more than He does any other way. And that always demands that I uh, pull aside, that I be quiet, that I be well-focused in order to hear the very things that God is seeking to speak into my life. Earthquake or not, God was moving. His power was on display, not just to open the, the, the door to the jail, but to open the heart, the hearts of those who were witness to the great things that God was doing. Jail doors open, sure, but it was the hearts of those that were witnessing what God was doing that was the real miracle there. In his desperation, and the jailer was desperate, 
he knew that God held the key to his salvation. As the Scripture tells us, it was at Paul's encouragement that the jailer put his sword away. There was now no reason for him to take his life. That on account of the fact that all the prisoners were, were still accounted for, but more so because of the grand opportunity that now stood before this jailer for him to accept Christ, for his life to be turned, for new life to come, for his life forever to be different, as we talked last week, for this life and for the next. That was the very reason that things began to turn for this jailer's life. The very reason for, for his life moving forward would now be founded in God that was offered in Christ. He was to believe in the name of Jesus, and in that, he would be saved. The offer of new life was extended not only to the jailer, but also to his household. And we ought not lose that in the mix. It was not just to the jailer, but also to his household. They too would come to recognize that God was moving, and they would give their lives to the Lord. Their response, and I intentionally use the, the word, words, their response, because it was not just the jailer, but also his family and household as well. So what took place was a family affair. I'm mindful of the words of uh, Joshua, as is recorded in Joshua 24, 15. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The jailer brought uh, Paul and Silas to his house and, and served them a meal. The Scripture records that the, the whole household was full of joy. The family was there, the, 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 the extended family. The, the meal uh, was, a meal was served, all of that in, in, um, in, in, in celebration of the good things that were taking place. That meal gave Paul and Silas the, the opportunity to, to really begin to lean into the life of that family. They took the opportunity to share the good news about Jesus. And the life of that family would never again be the same. That household was saved that day. They were filled with such intense joy because of the fact that they now knew God through Christ and their lives had been changed. Paul and Silas, quite frankly, didn't just leave things with the jailer, but they reached out to the entire family. And that's a big part of what we do here. The, the sound of children is all over this place, all through the week, and certainly on Sundays. I come in every morning during the week to the sound of children lining up to head to class in the preschool. During the afternoons, buses roll in right after right after school lets out. They drop off uh, kids uh, right at the sidewalk outside my office window. And the kids run into the gym with all excitement. They love being a part 
of the ministry of the After School Adventures. On, on Wednesdays, uh, Awana fires up. My, my, Wednesday, my Wednesday night men's small group meets just outside in the, in the lobby, and, and as we're getting started, we, we hear the excitement and the exuberance of the, of the kids. And then right in the, the middle of our time together, almost uh, you could set your clock by it, they come running through with that same exuberance uh, off to their next adventure. Even some of them will stop and give their dads a hug. It's a warm and wonderful scene. In just a couple of months, our gym is going to be full with families from all around the community taking part in, in upward basketball. Last summer, this sanctuary was full of, of children attending Vacation Bible School, many of those from this church, but so many others from around the community. We had a great time coming around those children and offering the good news about Jesus. Mops meets uh, every month, mothers of preschoolers, offering, uh, offering support to those, those mothers of preschoolers in, in that uh, very interesting and challenging time where there's really a lot of isolation that goes on. This gives a great opportunity for fellowship and also to hear a good word about Jesus. It's just in us. It's just in us as a church to be family-focused. And I know with my long history here, stretching back way over uh, 25 years, this church has always had a focus on family. It's just a part of who we are. It is our identity. And that's why it was so easy for us to identify as one of our core values being family-focused. The challenge, though, presently, is for us to welcome all the families, all the children, all the youth that come through these doors during the week and at other, other times into the full life of this congregation. In some regard, there is a, a disconnect. Although I will say that we are finding that we're reaching more and more of those families for which I am eternally thankful. But we need not rest until every family who doesn't have a church home, those, those families that, that may find themselves not really connected to God through Jesus Christ, where, where we are, where, where they rather are finding a home, a home right here, where being focused on family is who we are and very much what we're about. I've stated that as we uh, find ourselves uh, pulling out of COVID and after a, uh, a season of, uh, of, of robust uh, attention on building, that our focus really needs to be on three things. I've mentioned this to staff, to, to, to leadership groups, uh, to others with whom I've had conversation. These are the three things, really, we need to be focusing on. One is worship. It's uh, so critical to, to our life as a, as, a, as a community of faith. We, we need to be focused on discipleship that leads to service that also leads to, to reaching out in the name of Christ. We need to be focused on, on, on true discipleship. And we need to be focused on families, particularly young families, 
We need to be there to meet them in all the stresses and strains that, that comes along with raising a young family. These three things of worship and discipleship and, um, and, and family has helped me to be more focused during a season when, when, the, um, when the temptation is to be focused in, in so many other d- directions, focused on worship, discipleship, and, and family. Betsy needs your help on Sunday mornings to help disciple the, the young people who come, particularly at 1030, and she would love to hear from you. You can bet on it. We're going to need plenty of help uh, during the upward season. Sign-ups start tomorrow. You can touch base with uh, Don Dugan about that. He's giving us wonderful leadership in regard to, uh, to upward basketball. That's nothing more than just being maybe present at, in, in the gym one, one night a week where you're building relationships with families who come throughout the community. And as you build those relationships, it, it's just miraculous how, how people then are, are drawn to not only the church, but, but more importantly to Christ. We can always use more volunteers on Wednesday evenings with Awana. We can certainly use uh, leaders this is important and in, 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 in sort of a lifestyle sort of thing for, for every one of us. We can certainly use leaders who will seek out young adults, whether here or in our community, to lend them support, to offer encouragement, to maybe coalesce them in small groups, certainly to engage in one-on-one conversations, to simply take a, an, an interest in, um, in being present, being there for uh, those young adults. All these things will help keep our ministry focused on family. There's, there's no doubt that, that they do keep us focused right there. The Orange Curriculum that we use both with children and with youth encourages us not only to stay at the good things that are happening here, but also to encourage what happens in the home, to be there in support of marriages, to be there in support of parents who then turn and work to disciple their children. Let's face this. We uh, have contact with our children and youth for such a short time each week. You know, by the time they uh, crunch down a, a donut after they say hello to one another and have a, a time of uh, fellowship. The time that we have for discipleship is, is just so relatively short to, to other opportunities. But in comparison, parents have the opportunity to be with their kids all the time. And if not all the time, they certainly have the opportunity to, to, to be there to disciple and to draw them closer to Christ. So, Orange offers this encouragement that as a church, we really need to be supporting parents and families to get together, that really the, 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 the discipleship that takes place really needs to take place in the home, and that the church, in fact, comes alongside that. That sort of inverts things just a little bit. So many have the mindset, well, we'll take care of the, of the spiritual thing. We'll, we'll send the kids to church. And that's all well and good. And we stand to receive those children, those youth, and we, we, we uh, will be in earnest in, in discipling them, I can assure you. 
But let's invert that a bit, that really it's, it's the primary place of discipleship is right there in the home. We come alongside to help support the child and certainly those parents that are doing the discipling. It's important that we yoke together with young families and even those of, of some age as, as the kids are getting older, that we're encouraging and equipping them so that they are able to disciple where the kids are at home. A lot of our churches in our annual conference are made up of one or two families. Now, when I talk about um, families, I'm really talking about extended families. That, that sort of thing um, happens more so in, in, in rural areas and more open country settings rather than in urban areas, but it's, it certainly, uh, certainly takes place uh, uh, there as well. I've been a part of such churches where families, maybe even a couple, come together to form a family of a different sort, the church family. We're a lot like that here, although we involve uh, many, many, many more families than just a couple. We are a church family, not only focused on the families that participate here, but on those who don't. Those families in our community, and particularly those who don't have a church home or maybe even don't profess faith in Jesus Christ. Luke does well when he writes Acts about telling us about the, the jailer and his family. We, uh, we don't really know, though, what, what happens after their salvation, after their profession of faith and their baptism. We're left to imagine and so I figure that they, they joined with, uh, with other families, their family, with other families, to form a vibrant church, a vibrant church right there in Philippi. And as we know from, uh, from reading the, the letter, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, that that, that church was the apple of his eye. Paul, in, in, in that same letter, writes, at the very beginning to all the, the saints in Jesus Christ who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Now, that jailer might not have been a bishop or a deacon in that church, but he was certainly one of the saints. He had given his life to Christ, as did his family. He had, he had made sure that his relationship with with God through Christ was sure and strong, and that the same was taking place for his family. And he was given ample opportunity for that sort of thing to, to grow and to flower as he united with others within that church there in Philippi to, to make sure that his household would be square with the Lord. So I encourage us to do this. Let's pray for our families. Let's pray for the families of our community. Let's pray that we, should, that we would stay focused upon all families to the end that our identity, that core value, if we will, is truly being lived out, that we would be found as a community of faith that is focused on family, and in that, 
may fruit be born, and may God gain all the glory. Let's pray together. God, we, uh, we thank you for this, your church. We thank you for the many, many ways that you work uh, through this church, and no more pointedly than in our uh, every efforts to be present for the families who are part of uh, this faith community and, and for others who are part of the broader community. We pray, Lord, uh, that we would uh, day by day connect with those who are a part of the varied uh, ministries of this church. We pray that uh, your light would shine through us, that we would be well-intentioned, that we would not at all be bashful about uh, lifting up the good news about Jesus, and that we would live out the same by everything that we say and everything that we do. God, we pray that uh, in the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would stay uh, focused upon family. We pray, Lord, for fruit to be born. We pray, Lord, for young lives, that they would be, um, be given over to you, and that they would be well-discipled here and at home. God, we pray for all parents, for all grandparents. We pray that uh, you would use us. Use us, Lord, to be your person in the life of these precious little ones. Bless and keep us. Hold us fast in Christ. For we ask this, name in, this prayer in his name, trusting in the power of that name for today's world particularly in family. Amen.